We're going to continue today in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 in our Ready or Not series. Um, it's about the return of Jesus and end time events. Now, I follow a few sports teams uh, throughout the year. I follow the Packers. I follow the Badgers, their football teams and their baseball teams. And I also follow the Yankees. Don't hold that against me. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I try to DVR all the games that are available. And uh, some of you already know this. I have the standard practice not to watch a game live, unless you invite me over for the Super Bowl or something. I'd be willing to do that. Um, I, I choose only when my team wins to watch. <laughs> it saves a lot of time. And why would I want to spend two or three hours not enjoying that time? And it's just not a wise use of my time. Uh, now, you may think that this is silly, and I'm okay with that. But I think it's really good to know how it turns out in the end. I think it's really good to know which team wins. Now, interesting enough, God agrees with that. And that's why he has told us who wins. That's why he tells us how the story comes out. That's why he's given us um, it's one of the really important reasons why he's giving us uh, the Bible. And so the um, question is, is how much do you know about the end of the story? How much do you know about end time events? Um, today we're going to start uh, 1 Thess chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is week 11. So I've been building on this for a while. And I'm actually going to do one more in this series in, in two weeks. Um, I've said it before also that when, you, when we talk about end time events in the Bible, not everyone agrees on the order. And um, I'm really okay with that. That tonight I'm going to uh, share how I perceive end time events rolling out. Godly people disagree on these things. Um, so, um, kids that are in the room, here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. This is what you need to tell uh, your parents. Jesus is coming back. We are to be ready. We are to watch for him and we are to be faithful. And when you get home, you can ask your parents what they know about when Jesus comes back, okay? So uh, we're going to begin with 1 Thess chapter 5, and with, we'll start with verses 1 through 3, and I just want to read it before we look at it. Um, the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you uh, know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So uh, in verses 1 through 3, the day of the Lord will be a surprise to most. To most people, they will not be ready. This will be a surprise because most people are not paying attention to Scripture. They're not paying attention with, with what God has already said. And you and I shouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of things that we can know about the end times and how the story ends. In verses 1 and 2, we see that the time has not been revealed. The time uh, has not been revealed. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. Don't you remember when I was with you? I already told you. That's what he says uh, in chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, Second Second Thessalonians chapter two verse five. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He has talked about this before when he was with them in person. He did a lot of teaching about end time events, and he, here he's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord includes the time at the end of the age when God will deal with sin on earth, and Jesus will come back in judgment, a final judgment. And the Apostle Paul had already taught these things. We saw at the very beginning of our series, I think the very first week, the disciples asked Jesus a question about when he would return. And they said, when will these things be? And he began to answer that question. And we come to Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus said these words in answer to his disciples, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And that's why Paul said, we don't need to write to you. You already know this. Jesus already answered this question. God is going to keep these events, the start of these events, to himself. It's his secret. No matter how much guessing that people will do trying to determine uh, when these things happen and when Jesus returns, they're going to be wrong. They're going to be wrong. In verse 2, we learn that the day will come like a thief in the night, meaning it will be a surprise. Um, They know very well that the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord, it's not Jesus, it's the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Um, The day of the Lord will prompt the end time clock to move forward before Jesus comes back again, the second coming of Christ. Now Jesus continued his instruction Uh, about end times in chapter 24, Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. And uh, we looked at this a few weeks back. And Jesus said, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, 
he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. The world will not keep watch and the world will not be ready for the day of the Lord. It will be a total surprise when it comes. Verse 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And we're to be ready. Not for judgment, but for the return of Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes the end of the day of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Peter writes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. There it is. That's, that's Jesus' uh, terminology. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And that's going to open the door for new heavens, prepare the way for a new heavens and a new earth. That's after Jesus comes back a second time. That's before the eternal kingdom in Revelation chapter 21. Also, the day will interrupt what the world views as a time of peace and safety. So you're going to need that message in two weeks to, make, to continue to put all these things together. So you're going to need to come back for that. First Thess chapter 5 and verse 3, while people were saying peace and safety, that's what they expect. Destruction will come on them suddenly. The world will be positioned at an unusual time. I mean, does that describe our day now? Peace and safety in our world? No way. I've never seen it in my lifetime. The world, this is a worldview. This isn't just a special area in the world. The world will be positioned for peace and safety, but immediately there will be a move to a destructive phase at the hand of God. There will be no escape for them. It's not clear um, What's going to happen to make the world see the need, see, describe this as peace and safety? Um, it may well be the world ruler that will arise, and we've talked about this world ruler before. Um, we, we see this in Daniel chapter 9. We saw this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 last week. He will be a powerful ruler, he will provide stability. His power will be supernatural and satanic. And according to Daniel 9.27, he will make a covenant, an agreement with Daniel's people for one seven-year period. And the world will see this man as a great hero. Um, and there will be peace and safety for a time, just for a time. And then destruction will begin to click off on the clock. In verses 4 and 5, secondly, the day of the Lord will not surprise one who is following Christ. And that should include you and me. And remember from last week, the day of the Lord is characterized by darkness. 
Uh, We saw that in Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3. It is also mentioned in the book of Amos and in the book of Isaiah and the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 1.15 says this, That day, now if you look at verse 14, it it means the day of the Lord. It says that clearly. That day will be a day of wrath. And that's a key concept. Remember that. A day of wrath. A day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Um, it will be a very spiritually dark period. It will be a time of distress and anguish on earth. So I've been throwing this around, but let's go back and do a little review here. Question, what is the day of the Lord? And so, short refresher, the day of the Lord is an extended period of time at the end of the age that includes both judgment and blessing. This is an important concept. It includes a seven-year tribulation period, which will be judgment on earth, followed by a millennial reign of Jesus Christ on earth, which will be a great time of blessing. And we're going to be looking at that in two weeks. Um, These are foretold in the Old Testament prophets, and they are described in the book of Revelation. Um, The book of Revelation from chapter 6 through 19 are that seven-year period of tribulation. God is going to judge this earth. Revelation 20 mentions six times the reign of Jesus for 1,000 years. Now, I'm going to look at that in two weeks. I want to read a passage uh, from the Old Testament, and and it's not going to be on the screen, so you just sit back and listen. It includes a concept of judgment and blessing. It was written 800 years before the birth of Christ. Who does this describe? Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1, Isaiah writes, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That sounds strange. From his roots a branch will bear. Isaiah is prophesying about a genealogy. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David 300 years earlier. So Jesse is dead. King David is dead. But there will be a descendant from this family line. By the way, God promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that there would be a descendant to reign on on David's throne forever. A king who would reign forever. Verse 2, let's let's look at this person, this individual. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge but what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. 
He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. This is Revelation 19, right there. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Revelation 19. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Revelation 19 again. Okay? That's a time of judgment. Who's that person? Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, notice what follows. Verse 6. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a child will lead them. That is not normal. That is a time in the future when things are going to be way different than they are right now. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. How about that, mothers? The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will never harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. When has that happened? As the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. The nations. Remember, this is a very strong Jewish context from the book of Isaiah. But this is the whole world. The nations will rally to this descendant of Jesse and David. In that day, he will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. That's a period of great blessing that is coming on the earth. It was prophetic to Isaiah. Jesus did appear. And then he was cut off, and, no, and nobody expected that. And yet these promises will be fulfilled when he comes again. The day of the Lord will be a time of darkness, and Christ followers do not belong to that day, the day of darkness. Why? Because genuine Christ followers do not belong to darkness. Verse 4, you brothers and sisters, to, to believers, the church... If you're a Christ follower, you are not in the darkness so that today should surprise you like a thief. Because we've got the light of Scripture and we have the light of Christ. Verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the, to the night or to the darkness. And so Paul is going to flip uh, back and forth here and using this idea of light and darkness, literal light and literal darkness and spiritual light and spiritual darkness. And um, he says, you're children of light. Uh, you're children of spiritual light. And you don't belong to the night. You don't belong to spiritual darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. That's, that's who we worship. Whoever follows me will 
never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The great thing is, for a Christ follower, is when we are following Christ, you know, that's like being obedient. We are walking in the light. We are not in the darkness at all. And following Christ keeps us in the light. It keeps us from spiritual darkness. When we're sloppy in our walk, it just confuses things. Um, When we're sloppy in our walk, we're moving away from light and moving into darkness. Gray has never been a color for a Christ follower. Mixing black and night and day together. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of life. That's just the implication of being a Christ follower. You were once darkness. You were once in that sphere of evil, sin. You have been forgiven if you are a Christ follower. And you have a new identity. And you are now light in the Lord. And that's why we should live so people can identify us in our connection with Jesus. Um, We are to live our potential. We are to shine like stars in, in the universe and hold forth the word of life. And we are not to return to the darkness. Lastly, in verses 6 through 11, the day of the Lord motivates us to follow Christ. The day of the Lord motivates us to follow Christ. Verses 6 and 7, people who are in spiritual darkness live self-focused lives. Paul writes, so then let us not be like others who are asleep. Now, if you remember, in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul made a reference to those who have fallen asleep, not in church, but who had fallen asleep in Christ. They were the dead in Christ. They already faced a physical death. They were in Christ. They were a part of God's forever family. And then when Jesus returned at the rapture, the dead in Christ rise first. And then Paul says, we who are alive go second. He's not talking about the dead in Christ here, those who are asleep. He's talking about those who are in a spiritual stupor, those who are spiritually it's a different word. It's a totally different word. Those who are spiritually indifferent. They are actually spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. There's no genuine spiritual life. And then he writes, but let us be awake and sober. We are to be spiritually alert, paying attention to God and paying attention you know, to, to the leading of the Holy Spirit, paying attention to God's Word, paying, paying attention to God's work. Where is God at work around you? Are, are you? are you watching that? Can you identify that? 
Do you engage with that? We are to be spiritually sharp, spiritually alive, in tune with the Holy Spirit. We are to be sober, not intoxicated with alcohol, not intoxicated by our world or its values, not buzzed by lust or pornography, not appropriate for a Christ follower, not high on the latest fads and trends, not inebriated by anger or revenge, not under the influence of money and stuff, not wasted on the love of self. We are to be awake and sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, Paul writes, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And so he, he, he borrows from the natural realm and takes it into the spiritual realm. Nighttime is when people get more sloppy in their behavior, uh, when there is when less people are watching, they often become more sloppy. In the spiritual realm, the night is about spiritual darkness, and behavior is consistent with spiritual darkness. Behavior that dishonors God and behavior that dishonors Jesus, who is the light of the world. In verses 6 or 8, people who follow Christ live by faith, love, spiritual discipline, and the solid hope of salvation. Look at verse 6. He writes, So then let us not be like others who are asleep, who are in a spiritual stupor, but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, different expectations, different implications, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, something that's going to protect the heart. Faith and love. It's, it's, it's this picture of spiritual armor. It's also about doing spiritual warfare. Faith and love and hope of salvation as a helmet. The helmet protects the head, protects it's something that's going to protect the mind. We must live by faith. That's trusting God, taking God at his word. Are you a person who lives by faith? Do you really trust him? Are you seeking to follow him? We begin the Christian life by faith. Placing our faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And that's the start. That's the beginning. Following Christ is just one day at a time of taking what God has said and implementing it into our daily life. We also must live by love, and this has been the hallmark of the Christian faith for 2,000 years. Love is God's sacrificial and unconditional love like he has for us. It's not based on our performance, um, it's, it's not based on whether someone or something is worthy of uh, love. It's not based on somebody's qualities or their attributes. It is sourced in God. 
It's energizing and strength comes from God. So we live by faith and we, we live by love. And we also live with a solid hope of salvation as our helmet. Here the word for hope is objective. It refers to an objective hope. It's not a subjective hope. Our salvation is not subjective. It's not based on, well, I hope so. You know, if I just think hard enough, maybe it'll be true. That's subjective. It's all right here. An objective hope is, hope is based on something that is real and true as an object outside of our head. And our salvation is very real. It's already purchased, already given to us. And we will be saved. You can count on it. It, this is a strong argument for the assurance of our salvation. Um, the hope of salvation, it's real. It's a certain reality. In verses 9 and 10, God did not appoint Christ's followers to suffer His wrath during the day of the Lord. Now stay with me here. This is going to be really important, and I hope this wraps this up. Um, God did not appoint you, if you are a Christ follower, to suffer his wrath during the day of the Lord. And the, the context here makes all the difference on what Paul's talking about. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath to, to receive salvation, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christ follower, God did not appoint you to wrath. Now, certainly that includes um, the wrath of God when he judges people in the lake of fire. If you are a Christ follower, you are not appointed to the lake of fire. You have not been eternally condemned. But wrath clearly in this context is talking about the day of the Lord. The wrath of God that was identified in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. If you are a Christ follower, God appointed you to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can count on it. Verse 10. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Are you, are you awake or are you asleep? Don't you know the answer to that? He who died for us. There's the gospel, folks. Paul has a way of bringing it in. He died for us. That's good news. Um, if, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, let me just... Summarize quickly. The Bible says that we're all sinners. Every one of us. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are consequences for our sins. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. Eternal death. Eternal condemnation. The good news is that Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. He took our place. I deserve death because of my sin. Jesus died for me, and he took my death. He took my consequences, and he took your consequences, and we don't deserve it. The only requirement, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The only requirement is to respond to that message by faith and to trust Jesus for what he's done for you. Verse 10, he died for us, that's good news, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Awake in Christ, or alive in Christ. Asleep, this is where he's talking, he's not talking about spiritual indifference here. He's not talking about a spiritual stupor here. He's talking about, again, back to what we talked about in 1 Thess 4, asleep in Christ, the dead in Christ, those who have, Christians who have already died. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me just remind you, 1 Thess chapter 4, verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. That's that, we get that right here in verse 10. We may live together. How did we get together? The rapture. That's how we got together from 1 Thess 4. It happens before 1 Thess 5. Paul intended that. Also in 1 Thess chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, this is the same book, it's chapter 1. Look what Paul writes. He says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God. The Thessalonians had radical conversions. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from what? The coming wrath. What wrath is that? The day of the Lord. That's, that's the context. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 as well. Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. Not just the wrath of God in hell, but the wrath of God of the day of the Lord. That's Paul's whole point. It's all about the context of the day of the Lord. Now I want to go to Revelation chapter 6. We looked at this passage already. Um, not tonight, but previously. And I'm going to read it in just a minute. Let me give you some context here to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 1 is the vision of Jesus. It's a very supernatural vision of Jesus. 
Revelation 2 and 3 are seven letters to seven churches in, in John's day. Revelation 4 and 5 is the throne of heaven. And then everything stops and changes. And Revelation 6 moves in to the day of the Lord and judgment on earth. And Revelation 6 through 19 is God's wrath poured out on the earth before Jesus returns. Here's Revelation 6. They call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? That's the wrath that Jesus rescues us from. You want to know something else about the book of Revelation? The church is mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, not mentioned in Revelation 4 and 5, not mentioned in Revelation 6 through 19, because it's not there. It's called an argument from silence. You couldn't build your whole case on that. It's kind of significant in my view. The church isn't there during the time of the tribulation in Revelation 6 through 19. Then we're going to jump to Revelation 19, 15. And this is when Jesus returns to the earth. We call it the second coming. He, in the rapture, the believers go up. In the second coming, Jesus comes down for judgment. In the rapture, he comes to rescue. But the second coming, he comes to judge. Verse 15. Coming out of his mouth, this is Jesus, is a sharp sword, which is to strike down the nations. This is the world. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. The wrath of God. Bringing the day of the Lord to the end of judgment. This is about the end of Daniel's 70th week. It's, it's, it's about the end of the tribulation period, in my view. Verse 11, God desires that we as Christ followers shine brightly now as we wait for Jesus' return because we are the light in the Lord. We are children of light. We are not of the darkness. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're already doing. Stay the course. We're, we're to wait and to watch and be faithful until he returns. And we are on a mission. The mission has never changed for 2,000 years. One way to say it is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what we are about right now as we wait. And as we encourage one another, we have a whole list of things to, to do to help care for each other on this mission to help people connect with God. We are to uh, love one another. We're to be kind to one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to help one another and serve one another and forgive one another. And when we do, we shine brightly for our Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Because as we walk with Christ and we walk in the light, that's very attractive to our world. That's how God draws people to himself. It's when they can see God at work in us, in the body, in individual people, in families. And people are attracted to Jesus and they want to know more and they're curious. And as they see how we live and as they see our good works, something happens in their lives and a change comes and they begin to follow Christ. And they become worshipers of God. And as Jesus says here, they see your good deeds and then they glorify your Father in heaven. They become worshipers. They start giving glory to God because of how you and I lived. On December 26, 2004, an estimated 276,000 people perished during the Indian Ocean tsunami that originated with an earthquake on the, on the Richter scale at 9.2. People were not prepared for the destruction and the death that followed. On one particular beach in um, an island nation area, a group of sea gypsies from the Mokan tribe, 181 of them, all of them fishermen, um, retreated from the beach when the water receded. It was the exact opposite of what other people did. Other fishermen in the area when, as, soon, as soon as the water receded very fast, it left fish and sea creatures on dry land for a period of time. And other people went out to get them, thinking, we'll just take advantage of this very unusual event. But 181 of them, every one of them left and went to the mountains. How did they know? For generations, the elders passed on a bit of wisdom from one generation to the other. The 65-year-old tribal chief said this, the elders told us that if water recedes fast, it will reappear in the same quantity in which it disappeared. Not very complicated. This had been around so long, they had seen it before. When that water receded, it was really scary, and they got out of there. They didn't take anything with them. They dropped everything. And then those other fishermen were lost, who went and tried to pick up the fish just lying in the sand. The Indian Ocean tsunami is a picture. There will be a great judgment to come on this earth 
and the tsunami will be very small in comparison. We are to be ready and to watch and to be faithful until Jesus returns. Let's stand for prayer. Father, thank you um, for what you've told us about the future. I confess, God, that I don't know everything about the future. I know some things. I think Scripture reveals a lot to us. May we grow in our um, trust of your word. May we become students of your word and search for truth and seek understanding. May we be motivated to live, live for you. To, to wait for you, to anticipate your return, to be ready, and to be faithful to the mission that you've called us to. As we love each other and care for each other, encourage one another, build up one another, pray for each other, forgive each other. Help us, Lord, to walk with you one day at a time Help us to live in the light as children of the light. In Jesus' name.